Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. I want to welcome all of you here, everybody watching online as well. So football season's officially upon us. How many of you guys are excited about that? Yeah, okay. College or pro. How about them bears, huh? Yeah. Woo, sick and bears, yeah. I got a question for you. How many of you honestly think that your team has a shot, like at the national championship, Super Bowl? Would you raise your hand? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Three hands. Yeah, if you're like me, every offseason, and Wendy has to watch this take place, it's really sad, but, you know, I get super, super stoked, right? Free agency hits, man, we got this guy, we got that guy, and then I watch the draft, and I'm like, oh, this is the perfect team, and the year's getting started, I'm thinking, this is the year the Vikings are going to win it all. And then two games in, it's like, I'm back down to earth. You know, it's the strangest thing. (laughs) No child grows up dreaming... I want to be a great spectator, right? Like my heart's desire is to be a tremendous watcher of sports on TV. (laughs) We were made to be in the game. The heart's cry is, put me in the game. And so it's a little ironic that today and for the weekends in the fall, there will be millions upon millions upon millions of Cheeto-eating, lazy boy-reclining couch potatoes (laughs) who desperately need exercise, right? watching 22 men run around a football field who desperately need rest. But we all, we all want to be in the game. <laughs> I remember growing up, I played soccer when I was growing up, and Steve Zobel's going to laugh at me because he was really good at soccer growing up. Uh, we grew up together. I, I played soccer growing up. That means I sat on the bench. I was mostly a bench warmer, okay? And, and I watched, and it became very clear to me that the whole process of deciding who gets to play and who doesn't get to play was very political. Like, yeah, I realized the coach had his favorites. They were the ones who were fast and strong and coordinated. <laughs> yeah, they could pass and dribble and shoot. And for those very arbitrary reasons, they got to play in the game, and I got to sit on the bench and develop character, okay, <laughs> and eventually become a pastor. Athlete, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. Just, mm. Truth hurts. Well, here's the deal. In the game of life, God didn't create anybody to just sit on the bench. Not a single person. You know, sometimes, and in light of what we've talked about over the last few weeks, sometimes people think, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm saved by grace, I know I'm going to heaven, I can just kind of coast through life. And I want to tell you, it's absolutely true that you you don't have to lift a finger to serve God here on earth to stay out of hell. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in him, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of eternal life, it's absolutely free. No strings attached. But it's also true, as we've talked about in the series, that if you do that, you're going to miss out on the good life here on earth and the best life in eternity. You're going to miss out on eternal rewards, the best God has for you. And really, if you just sit on the bench as a Christian, you're going to miss God's whole purpose for your life. 
You know, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it's a classic verse on salvation, but it's so, so sad that we stop at verse 9. We often don't go on to verse 10, and it's very important. So as we get started this morning, I want you to listen to the entire passage here. This is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And here we go. For, because of that, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are his handiwork. See, God made you for a purpose, and God saved you for a purpose, to do good works, to make a difference in this world. So today, we're going to the locker room, and we're going to learn together what Jesus wants from each and every one of us. And this is an everybody is needed kind of message, so that we can all know the joy of actually getting into the game, okay? That's what I want, so that we as a community, as a church, can do what God has called us to do. And in the locker room today, we're going to take a look at a story Jesus told, sometimes called the parable of the talents. And this is what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Says the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. It's like, that's the least you could have done. It says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. We're going to pause there in this story. Now, this story begins with incredibly good news. The master calls these servants together, and the actual word for them in the story is slaves. They have no money, no property, no career, no prospects. But he says to them, I'm going to give you an unbelievable opportunity. 
Now, Jesus, he's a master storyteller. And the first thing that would strike his listeners in this story is the enormity of the money being offered. You see, a talent was the biggest figure, the largest unit of money in the Greek financial transaction system. A talent was worth 10,000 denarii. And just to give you perspective, a denarius was what the average person would earn in a single day. 10,000 denarii. Now, it's a little tricky to put that into today's economy, but let's say the average salary around here is $50,000 a year. That would come out to $200 a day. And $200 times 10,000 is $2 million. So even the one talent guy is given $2 million. This is the story of a slave that wins the lottery. And the idea is it would be a profit-sharing venture where he could share in the master's gains. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity from a staggeringly generous master. And you see, this story, like our story as Christians, begins with grace. Now, I'm going to pause right here to give you a chance to answer this question, what have I been given? And just so you know, I have given each of you a wonderful gift this morning. Okay, if you look under your chairs, there's a thing called a sermon outline. It's a gift from me to you, okay? Yeah, I know, I'm so generous. All right, just grab it, okay? There's a pencil underneath there, too. I want everyone to play along. Like, even if you're not going to do it, just fake it, okay? Just like, yeah, sure, Pastor, whatever you say. Just pretend like you're writing. We're going to do a little blessing inventory, okay? Can we play along here? We're going to answer this question, what have I been given? And the first thing I want you to write down on that outline is life. As best I can tell, most of you are still alive. A few look questionable out here, but most of you look like you're breathing. That is a gift, that's a gift. Every second, every minute, every day, every week, every month, every year, the gift of life. And then I want you to think, and you're going to finish this at home. I just want to prime the pump here. You've been given some skills. Like you all have certain skills. Some of you, you're good at singing. Some of you are good at encouraging or planning, listening, gardening, relating to people. Those are all gifts from God. So just jot a few down. I'll give you some time here. Go ahead, jot some stuff down. I'm good at paving asphalt. I'm looking right at Daryl. Yeah. Whatever it may be. And then you have a body. You have energy. You have a certain level of mental health, right? You're in touch with reality. So you might write down energy and sanity, something like that. What else? You have experiences, like what life has taught you so far right, the many years that you've lived. So you might write down how old you are, okay? Some of the ladies are going, no. Okay, you can write down how old you think you look on a good day, all right? Just jot that down. And then turn to the neighbor next to you and ask him if you're in touch with reality. Okay, that answers the previous question. Just write that down. What else do you have? You have financial resources. Now, you don't have to write down a number. Yeah, you might just write down much compared to the rest of the world. We have so, so much. We're so blessed. You know, this is interesting. We oftentimes don't think of this as kind of a gift, but you also have wounds. You have wounds. You have hurts in your life. And it's a funny thing. God often uses our wounds to minister to people more than he uses our strengths. 
You know, a lot of times it's people who have lost a child or wrestled with an addiction or gone through deep depression that are best able to help somebody in a similar situation. Because hear me on this, God never wastes a hurt in your life. You might write down that you've been given an education. You might write down, I've been given friends. If you put your faith in Jesus, write down forgiveness and the gift of eternal life because Jesus has guaranteed you that. So you begin with this question, what have I been given? And when you write all this stuff down, when you get home and you make this list, you're going to go, whoa, it's so much, so much. And then the question becomes, what will I do with what I've been given? In fact, the word Jesus uses here to describe the master's generosity is he entrusts. Isn't that an interesting word? He entrusts. In other words, this is not just something he's doing for the slave's benefit, for the servant's benefit. It's a part of the master's larger, nobler plan. Whatever the Lord gives to me now, he's going to ask me about later. My mind, my body, my sexuality, my stuff, my time. Whatever the Lord gives you now, he'll ask you about later. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? What have I been given? What am I going to do with it? Okay, you can finish that at home. Let's go back to the story here. So the master gives his servants an incredibly large sum of money. And this is striking to me. Did you notice what instructions he gave them? Nothing. Like no instructions at all. He doesn't say start this business or invest in that fund. He gives them tremendous freedom. He basically says, you exercise initiative. You take responsibility. You dream. You dare. You try. You risk. Apparently, the master is not just using them to grow his money. He's using the money to grow them. Apparently, God wants you to dream about how can I serve you, God? How can I serve God? And three servants are given this opportunity. For two of them, when they go to bed that night, their mind is racing. I mean, they can't stop dreaming about what they might do with this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Jesus said the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Hey, this servant was serious about it. He says he went at once. It's like he can't wait. It's like he's afraid the master might change his mind or something. So also, the one with the two talents gained two more. But when the third servant went to bed that night, his mind was not racing. The next morning, the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, from that day on till the master returned, his life was not even a little bit different than it was before he received this amazing gift of grace. I mean, this amazing gift didn't prompt any dreams, any dares, any risks. It didn't change him at all. You know, we usually think in life about sins of commission, like wrong things we do, lying, stealing, cheating, and so on. But in the Bible, the most serious sins are often sins of omission. It's the stuff I don't do. It's the love I don't offer, the words I don't speak, the service I don't practice, the risks I refuse to take. The sin of this third servant was very serious, but it wasn't the sin of what he did. It was the sin of what he did not do. He did not make his life a bold adventure of faithfulness to God. He didn't say yes to this great divine invitation. 
And notice, this isn't a failure he did just once. Every morning when he woke up, he was sitting on this incredible treasure for God. Every morning was a new opportunity to put it to glorious use. But every morning he said, nope, I think I'll keep it buried another day. Nope, I'm not going to do anything for this master who's given me everything. You know, we have a phrase for what life can sink into. We call it the same old, same old. Day after day after day, you wake up at the same old time, roll out of the same old bed, go into the same old bathroom, look in the same old mirror, shave the same old face, step in the same old shower. You walk into the same old kitchen, pour the same old cereal in the same old bowl, kiss the same old wife on the same old cheek, get in the same old car, drive to the same old job, sit in the same old chair, Listen to the same old boss, tell the same old jokes, laugh in the same old way, clock out at the same old time. And then you get back in the same old car, right? Drive down that same old road to the same old house, eat the same old dinner, you know, fall asleep in the same old chair, watching the same old news, get up, drag yourself to the same old bed, ask your wife the same old question, get the same old answer, you know, Roll over, go to sleep, and that's it. Like from one day to the next to the next. It's the same old, same old, same old. You know, for years, for years. <laughs> Some of you guys go, oh. For years, these servants did the same old tasks in the same old order with the same old results until one day this master shows up with an incredible, powerful gift of grace. And for two of them, from that moment on, they realized, I can't go back to the same old, same old. Now, this leads to the next question, which is personal for every one of us. You got to ask this, people. What do I dream about doing for God? Like, what is it for you? What gets you stoked? What gets you fired up? What would keep you up at night? If you could do something with what God has given you, what would it be? And I've written down a bunch here. There's so many things you could do. You could encourage a lonely person at your workplace and maybe change their life forever. You could go over and volunteer at the caring place or or make donations to needy families here in Georgetown. You could take an hour out of your schedule each week and serve in our children's ministry and change a young child's life forever. You could help provide cleanup or repairs or service to somebody in need in the home here in Georgetown. We have a whole ministry, three different teams that go in and help out in the community to help with building or repairs or services. You could join that team. You could mentor somebody that's younger than you. Help them to grow, maybe in their vocation, maybe spiritually, maybe in their marriage, wherever. You could help cook and prepare meals. We have a team called the Underground Angels. That's all they do is they cook meals. They prepare them. Or you could join Meals on Wheels that actually takes meals to people's houses. You could be a part of Faith in Action and just drive somebody who can't drive to a doctor's appointment or or to the store. You could start a small group. Uh, You could start living on mission in your community and just start looking around saying, hey, who do I know that may not know Jesus and invite them over for dinner? You could mentor one of our students. We have a mentoring program here for our teenagers, help them to grow closer to Jesus. You could just commit to pray for somebody. You could just be so happy in Jesus that people go, why are you so happy? And then you tell them, okay? 
Just live your life that way. You could help guide a young, unwed teenage mom through the Pregnancy Help Center. Folks, we have this long, long list of opportunities to serve here in the community, places that we support and ministries within our church. You can just pick one and just jump in and get involved. And why do we offer so many? Because we realize people have different gifts, different abilities. And the best way to reach our community is to spread out, have maximum impact. Our goal is not to be one giant aircraft carrier. It's to be a navy of little PT boats moving around and infiltrating the community. See, it doesn't have to be flashy or impressive. That's a mistaken notion. And you know what? Usually the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It's been said, what matters is not your capacity for achievement. What matters is your capacity for God. I want to say that again because we live in such a performance, achievement, idolizing society. What matters is not your capacity for achievement. What matters is your capacity for God. You and I were made with a capacity for God. Did you know that? We were made to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to see God in all the good things in every moment of our life, to serve him, to partner with him each and every moment, to do life with God. And how big is that capacity for God in your life? Nobody knows. You don't know because it can always be growing. And that leads to the next question. What could keep me from being a good and faithful servant? You know, the master calls two of these guys good and faithful servants. What could keep me from that? For the third servant, hear me on this, pay attention. The third servant's problem was not greed. It wasn't greed. It was fear. He was afraid that the master's a hard man. He was afraid to risk his talent. You know, this parable is so often taught as a parable about stewardship. It's not mostly about stewardship. It's about risk. This is a guy who's afraid to take a risk. He's afraid to fail. But when you step out to do something bold for God, you don't need to be worrying about failing. You know, a lot of people think, I want to be a bold, adventuresome, courageous person who never fails. <laughs> Good luck with that. If you risk, you will fail. That's why they call it risk. See, for this third servant, his problem, like for many of us, he didn't understand the bigness and the goodness of God and that my apparent success or failure doesn't need to weigh me down. You know, there's a very striking contrast in the behavior of the third servant versus the other two. Jesus says the first two servants went at once, put his money to work, and gained more. Whereas the third guy went off, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. Do you see the contrast there? You may not know this. There was actually a community in Israel called the Qumran community. They were the ones who kept the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they took their faith in God, their religion, very seriously. But actually, partly because of that, they gave up on the world. They isolated themselves. And the verbs that Jesus uses to describe the third servant here actually describe precisely what they did. In fact, many biblical commentators believe that Jesus may have been commenting on the mistaken notions of the Qumran community in this parable. They chose to withdraw from society. They chose to withdraw from the world. They dug a hole. I mean, literally, this community burrowed into caves. We discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in some of the caves they lived in. They hid their many talents, the gifts God had given them. I mean, they knew the scriptures really well, but they didn't share that gift with the rest of the world. 
Not with other Israelites, not with the Romans, not with the Samaritans. They just hit them. And they thought they were winning. Jesus thought they were losing. They thought we're honoring God. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're doing just the opposite. And Jesus, I believe, is saying to us today, church, church, I didn't give you this treasure of grace just to sit on it, just to hide it, just to bury it and live for yourself. There's a big game going on out there, and I want you to get in the game. See, right now, we're in the locker room, okay? We meet in the locker room every Sunday, and you know what? The locker room talks, they're great. These meetings are great, but the game is not played in the locker room. The game is played out in the field. I mean, imagine a team today saying, hey, we're declaring ourselves the winner of today's game because we had such a great locker room meeting. I mean, we got all fired up, and the music was terrific, and we have more and more people coming into our locker room. It doesn't matter how many people are in the locker room. The game is not one in the locker room. It's one on the field. And the measure of how we're doing as a church is not what happens when the church is in the church. It's what happens when the church gets out into the world. The world could care less how good our locker room meetings are. But when people get loved, when the presence of Jesus gets released into the world through you, through believers, in your home, school, neighborhood, office, when resources get shared with the poor rather than just hoarded, right? When people get encouraged, when, when promises are kept rather than broken, when the forgotten in jails and nursing homes have someone who visits them and, and prays over them and cares for them. You know, when people start working for their boss at Dell or their boss at Starbucks as heartily as if they were working for the Lord, when prayers are bold and faith is strong and Jesus is lifted up and up there comes down here, that, my friends, is when we're winning as a church. Yeah, amen. That's why we're here. It's not to take the talents God's given us, bury them, and just live for ourselves. The biblical term for us, ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. We're to be salt and light to a dark world that God loves so much. He sent his only son to die for it. And that leads me to the last question. It's simply this. What words do I want to hear from God when my life is over? Think about that. What words do you want to hear from God? What's your next step? Again, like the servants in this parable, nobody's going to step in and figure this out for you. The problem with the third servant is he had all these excuses for why he wasn't investing his life for the master. I knew you were a hard man. I was afraid. People, this is your one and only life. This is it. So please, don't be left standing before Jesus trying to make excuses one day. What's the next step for you? What's that next step you need to take? And maybe you need clarity. All right, you're out here, you're thinking, I don't know. I've got certain gifts, talents, hurts, passions, experiences, but I don't have a dream from God right now. I'm not sure. Pray about it. Say, God, help me to know how I can serve you. God, would you give me a dream for my life that's not just about my life? If you need help with that, we've got pastors, ministry leaders around here. We'd love to help you get clarity. You can go online to hillcountry.life. There's a tab at the front, a little card you can click. It says serve, fill out your information. Or you can go out to the red tent today. Just tell somebody under the red tent, man, I want to get involved. I need to get connected. Now, maybe, just maybe, 
you do have a dream. You have some sense of what you could be doing, but you've been holding back. You've been a little afraid. I think it's time to ask God to give you the courage to take that step, just that first step, just one tiny step forward. You know, I thought about this. What if we became known as a church? Hill County Bible Church, Georgetown, became known as a church where everyone said, God, I'm willing to risk what you've so generously given me to help love somebody else, to bring you out into the world. Like, what if we took Jesus at his word when he said to store up treasures in heaven and not here on earth, trusting that they'll be so much better than the best this world has to offer? What if we were playing the game of life, not for earthly prizes or a stadium full of applause or a big pile of money, but to stand before our creator one day, the God Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, and have him look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? If you hear those words, you know you've hit the lottery when it comes to eternal rewards. And I can't explain to you what it's going to be like. Only God knows how good they're going to be. But the Bible says that they'll make every pleasure that this world has to offer, you name it, scenic vacations, accomplishments of creativity, stunning cinematic productions, sexual exploits, sports extravaganzas, hallucinogenic drugs, managerial excellence, you name it. Those will pale in comparison. It's actually a promise from God. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So let's get in the game. Now let's give 110% for Jesus and live the best life possible here on earth and one day in eternity. Pray with me. Lord, as we wrap up this series this morning, First and foremost, I want to thank you that the gift of eternal life is absolutely free. We put our faith in Jesus, and there's no turning back. We will be in heaven. Thank you that we can rest in that, but I also thank you that there's so much more, that you created us for some incredible works. We are your workmanship, your craftsmanship, your handiwork. God, you've given us so much like the talents that were given to these servants. And you don't want us burying them. You don't want us being lazy with them. And my concern is for my brothers and sisters out here today that we would not just sit on them or be using them for ourselves. We would find a way, a dream, a passion, some way that we can make a difference for your kingdom. Because that's why you've created us. That's what you've created us for. God, my prayer is that all my brothers and sisters here would one day hear you say, well done. Well done, daughter. Well done, son. Come and share my happiness. Lord, there's nothing greater that we can seek after in life. God, we also acknowledge to you, we can't do this in our own strength. We need your spirit to not only give us that passion, give us the courage, because this isn't about stewardship. This is about fear. It's about willing to step out and take a bold move of faith. Take a risk. Because you'd rather us risk and fail than not try at all. And if we do that, if we step out, you're going to show up and you're going to blow us away. We believe that and we trust that. So Lord, we love you and we pray that you would just
Help us to put all these truths we've learned into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, as you watch sports this afternoon, whatever you're doing, think about the game of life, okay? Let's all get in the game. Amen? Amen. All right.